fall asleep, I promise you. I often say this too, if I was sitting after a meal like we just ate, I would be falling asleep too. The only reason I'm not falling asleep is because I'm up here, and so I have that advantage. But um, after eating all the bacon too, I, you know, I need like three bottles of water just to get through the entire service as well. Um, we're going to dismiss the, but before we do, we're going to dismiss the boys and girls. Now the boys class is going to be in here, but if some of the boys want to go to junior church today, they can go to junior church. There is going to be an egg hunt outside just in the back by the um, little playground. If for some reason you don't want your child to go outside, that's fine. Um, just let Miss Diane know that. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be outside under full supervision with, with uh, helpers and such and just in that little park. But you're welcome to go, and Diane will lead you um, there in the back. And then after the service, there are trays and trays of food. Now, maybe you didn't plan anything for Easter lunch and you think well why don't we have pancakes and bacon grab some and you can impress all of your friends and family that are coming over with a wonderful breakfast for lunch meal um, no but in all seriousness um, we encourage you to be able to go downstairs and take some plates of food with you um, for that because there's plenty of extra and if you didn't get to eat because you got here a little bit later or maybe you're hungry again or maybe you're hungry for the first time there are also gluten-free options and I will say this, uh, um, and I don't usually want to make too big of a deal for anyone doing anything because we don't want applause for ourselves, but um, I do want to encourage everyone that got up really early, got here at like 6 a.m. and started cooking. What a fantastic job all of you did. And the two churches working together in this seamless way, I've only heard great things from both sides saying, that was really wonderful, that was really wonderful, that was really wonderful. And, and getting groups of people together to work together can only be from God. And so uh, I want to thank everybody again for um, that and, and how you participated in that and made yummy food. And um, Mr. Rowland sent, um, every year, uh, Brother Arthur says, I'm not cooking pancakes this year. I'm not doing it. And this year, uh, Mr. Rowland sent a spatula via Amazon right to Arthur's house. And so he had no choice. He had no choice. He had a spatula sent there just for flipping purposes. Do you ever see the ones that have like electronic? They just flip for you. We should get him one of those as well. Um, but every year he says he's not going to do it, and every year he's doing it. So we just thank God that God gets a hold of his heart, and he gets right with God and starts flipping the pancakes for everybody. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thank you, worship team and uh, Stephanie for special music. It was wonderful. And if you're visiting with us for the first time today, thank you so much for coming. And I understand you could have been anywhere this morning and you chose to be with us, and that's the delight to our heart. If you're a returning visitor, thanks so much for coming back, and hopefully you continue to come back. I have some friends that have come today, and I'm so thankful for that. And so uh, thanks for coming. I really appreciate that. I feel special about you coming uh, to visit us today. And so thank you so much for all of that. And to see your family members. I'm getting to meet a lot of people uh, that I didn't previously know. Notice I opened a window up here because I got this nice cross breeze for me. Now I went, during the time, I went, all the people on the side over there, I said, is it too hot? And they all said no. So if you're too hot, everybody on the side right there, blame them because I was going to open the window, but they said no. So I got I got nice breeze, so I don't sweat to death. First Corinthians chapter 15, let's pray, and then we'll look right into it today. Father, once again, we come to you, Lord, thanking you so much for what you've done on the cross, for making this possible. Lord, I thank you for all the many servants that um, served today, Lord, and, and gave us a wonderful service thus far. We know that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. Father, my words are nothing. My, my 
I am nothing, Father, and, and uh, I'm so thankful, Lord, that even in my sinfulness, even in my failures, Your grace is sufficient. And Lord, I pray that once again that I would be out of the way, that You would be in the way. Father, I pray You'd cleanse me in my heart of sin, Lord, that You might use it, anoint the words of the Word of God, that they may go forth and penetrate our heart. Lord, I pray, Father, You'd open up the eyes of faith for everyone in here who needs it. I pray that those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that they would call on You today to save them. And Father, I pray, Lord, if there are any other challenges or obstacles in people's lives, Father, that they're struggling with, I pray that You'd meet uh, those needs and, and show them Your truth and Your way, Father, as, as they listen to the words of the Spirit of God today. And God, Lord, I just pray again that You'd use this time to glorify Your name. Thank You for rising again from the dead, that You didn't just stay in the grave, but Father, You up and arose, proving so many different things to us. And Lord, I pray again for a special anointing, Lord, not because I or anyone else here deserves it, but because You are worthy. And we thank You so much, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are on the day we call Easter, or Resurrection Sunday morning, and we're here to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you know this, but uh, one of the reasons why we routinely have services on Sunday is in reflection of the resurrection because he rose the first day of the week now they used to in the old testament and even parts of the new testament had services on saturday and sunday worship in part is to recognize um, and celebrate the resurrection every single week but like david mentioned earlier it's good sometimes to sit back and to focus on the resurrection in particular and all that means now the way the generation of the day is moving less and less people are actually believing the resurrection or the authenticity of Christ. For many, when they hear the resurrection, uh, they may even observe it, they may even go to a service that has something to do with it, but to them, it's more of a story, a nice story of Jesus or a legend or a story of mythological proportions. But they don't consider the authenticity of it. They don't consider that it was actually factual events. I want to ask you that question. How about you, though? What do you think about the resurrection? Is it true? Did it happen the way the Bible says it happened? Or is it just a legend? Is it real? Or is it just a story that's passed down? And then can I tell you this? That how you answer that question may in fact determine your entire worldview. And it may in fact determine your eternity in part. Because consider this that if the resurrection of Christ is just a nice fable or a nice story, then we're here and every other person who's in church this morning anywhere is in part here for no other reason but story time. And we may as well call this morning tall tales with the pastor. No, for real. Think about this. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, then that means the Bible is false. And if the Bible is false, then we're all, under, we're all here under pretense of lie. We're all under here for some fable. We're all here dedicating and worshiping something that did not happen or did not exist. On the flip side, if it did happen, then we're subjected to all the truths that are in the Word of God. And we're, we have to answer the question, why don't we follow God more fervently? Why don't we talk about Christ more frequently? Because really the question is, either we're dealing with stories of Zeus and Thor and Hercules, or we're dealing with someone who actually did die, and three days later 
actually rose again from the dead. And I would dare even say this, and you've heard me say this before, that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then again, he is the biggest liar that ever walked the face of the earth. And he's fraudulent. And he's a con man. And he is such a good con man that he's convinced people for thousands of years to follow and to dedicate their lives to something that did not actually happen. But yet on the flip side, if he did rise again from the dead, then he indeed is God. He indeed is the risen Savior. He indeed is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what I'm doing is I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm, I'm asking you to consider which side you're on. Now you don't answer to me. I'm nobody. I don't give permission to go to heaven or not. I, I'm not worthy of heaven myself. But what I am doing is just preaching the Bible and, and putting in your mind that either He did rise again from the dead and He is God, and where do you stand with that? Or you come to terms that He's not. And why are we here? And this was all just a fraudulent tradition. A lie, a nice thing, but, but a lie. Why would we waste our time if it wasn't true? But if it is true, it is the Word of God. And so those are the things I want you to consider today as we look into this the resurrection, and according to the Bible, and some of the things in life. Now, if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to begin reading at verse 13. We'll go back and read some other verses, but we're going to begin reading at verse 13 in just a second. The Bible says in verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so, be the dead raised not, rise not. So here's what Paul says as he writes this. He says this, that if Christ is, does, is not risen, if He did not really rise as we're saying that He did, then our preaching is in vain. In vain means it's a waste of time. It is, it's futile. It's, it's chasing the wind. It's worthless. And then he says, our faith actually is also in vain. If Christ did not rise again from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That means everything we're doing right here is a waste of time. And Paul also goes on to say that we're false witnesses. If he really didn't rise, then we're liars. Now Paul was there in the first century. You and I, we take things by faith over multiple century happenings. But Paul was there. And he says this, that everything is foundational upon the resurrection because the Bible in Christ claimed to rise again from the dead and all those eyewitnesses claimed that He rose from the dead. And if that happened, then so be it is the Word of God, the Word of God. But if it did not happen, then everything we believe about the Word of God is a waste of time. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lee Strobel. Um, some of you may have, some of you may not have. But Lee Strobel was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune in the late 70s and early 80s. And he was a staunch atheist. And so he, you know, he's the legal editor of a very, very major newspaper in America. Well, one day, his wife decides to attend a gospel-preaching church. And before long, that one day turned into more and more times in Bible studies and church things. And, and she finally makes the decision to become a Christian. And she became, as we might call it in, in our lingo, she got saved. Well, that tickled, Lee Stroll, that, that tickled him the wrong way. That ticked him off. Why would his wife go and join this false church? Why would he, she join this false cult of a God that doesn't even exist? So he decided to attend church with her that one time, and 
just to convince her that what she joined was indeed a cult. Now, some of you may have the same kind of storyline where maybe one of your spouses started going to church and you were like, what are you going there for? And they became more and more dedicated and that really aggravated you a little bit. That might have been your story, I don't know. Well, he went there to try to prove it wrong, and, he, and, and while he was there, he heard the gospel preached for the first time. He heard about Jesus dying for our sins, and he heard about the resurrection of Christ, and he heard about the fact that we don't deserve heaven, but we deserve hell. He heard about all those things, and now it began to spur him to, be, to find out what the truth was. He wasn't convinced just because he heard a preacher. Matter of fact, it became more motivated to prove it wrong. And so he took his journalistic and legal skills and began to investigate and attack Christianity. And he went on a journey to prove that Christianity was false, that it was a giant lie, specifically just to prove his wife wrong, but also in, in turn to make sure that he wasn't on the wrong side of truth. And so he held one conviction, that he would be honest with truth. He felt that his journalism and his legal background demanded that he would handle whatever was proven to be true, he would accept. So for the next 20 plus months, almost two years, he traveled the entire world. He read whatever he could, interviewed dozens of so-called experts, all just to prove Christ and Christianity wrong. And then in November of 1980, he no longer could deny the truth that, he had, that had been revealed to him, and he realized that Jesus did in fact rise again from the dead. And he realized that Jesus was truly the only way, the truth, and the life, and that no man could come to the Father but by him. And it was that day that he decided to become a Christian. I tell you that to tell you, and that's not a fable, that's not a made-up story. You can look it up, Lee Strobel. He began to write a series of books called The Case for Christ. He wrote The Case for Faith. He wrote The Case for a Creator. And you can look up his storyline. Um, as a matter of fact, they even made a movie about it. Um, because he really did try to prove it wrong and interviewed everybody he can get a hands on with all his credentials as a journalist, and it led him to the same truth that his wife had seen in a more simple journey that Christ really was risen from the dead. Can I tell you this, that Jesus' brother had a similar type of story? Jesus' brother James was the same way. All his life he was not a believer. And that's pretty fascinating, right? He knew Jesus was a great brother because Jesus had never done anything wrong. And I often joke, can you imagine what it would have been like to have a brother like Jesus? You can never blame him for anything. You can never get away with something and blame it on Jesus because you know that no one's going to believe you. It's good to blame things on your, on your siblings. He couldn't get away with it. To this day, uh, in our old house, Somebody drew on the wall, and to this day, none of my kids admit it. But one of them did it. And they all have a story why it was someone else. Like, it was Jed. You know, at first they were blaming the kid who couldn't talk, right? At the time, Jed couldn't talk. It was Jed, because he can't defend himself. And then later on, no, it was Charity. Well, she was in a, in a crib. Was she drawing on anything? And, uh, you know, no one would admit it. But that, you couldn't get away with that when you were Jesus' brother. So James would have been there... And would have seen Jesus' impeccable testimony. He would have seen His perfect way. He would have heard all those things. And yet, we're, we're sure of it. And we see it in the Bible that James did not believe his entire life. Jesus' entire life. And when Jesus died on the cross, he just came to the realization or, or just figured, man, my brother died. 
Matter of fact, when Jesus was walking around and His disciples started claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, there's some evidence that James was like, oh no, my brother's nuts. He thinks he's the Messiah. So Jesus dies. James would have had to been there to console Mary. And then a funny thing happened a few days later. Jesus was back. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. The Bible says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and then He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the most concise passage of what the Gospel really is. That He died for our sins, and on the third day rose again. He died for our sins. He died in our place. But watch this. And that He was seen of Cephas and of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of, his, of the apostles. And last of all, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And so the Bible says here that, that after the resurrection... That's when James saw Jesus rise again, and then what he was going to do with that, right? He was, for the first time, he was like, wait a second, you were just dead, and now you're alive. And I can't deny that fact. I can't turn my back on that fact. I mean, it'd be really hard. Like, when I went to my dad's funeral in 2018, and I remember, for the, for the, I remember taking it in and being like, for the last time, I'm looking at the, the casket, and I remember I was the last one walking out, I made sure that this was my, this was the closure I needed. And so as I was walking out, I looked at the body, and I said, okay, Dad, I'm, even though I knew he wasn't there anymore, but his body was, and I was walking out, and I said, okay, I, this is the final goodbye. How absolutely weird and bizarre would it be three days later my dad comes walking in, right? And we would laugh about it. And let's say he was there, and he was talking with me. I'd have some real reckoning to do and be like, I, was I wrong? Did he not die? Did he, did, how did it, what, what's going on? Well, that was G James's journey. James saw Jesus die. He came back, and now he's like, well, how do I explain this? And the only reasonable explanation, because he was there. I mean, this wasn't like he died in his sleep and he was sleeping. They nailed him to the cross. Um, he sat there. They watched him die. They watched the two other uh, people on, on the, each side of Christ die. They watched Jesus die. They saw the people take the body down and go to the tomb and anoint the body and put him in the tomb and roll the stone. He saw all that. He knew where he was laid. And then three days later, James is seeing him. And now James is, has to come to terms with what Jesus has been saying his entire life. That he indeed was the Messiah. That he indeed was the God of, of heaven. He is the King of kings. And it was then that James became a believer. What is also fascinating is the fact that Jesus was seen by more than 500 people over a 40-day span after he died. See, he didn't just die and disappear. He died and rose again, and for 40 days he walked around, talked to people, interacted with people, ate with people, spoke to people, went with his disciples, gave them instruction. And the Apostle Paul in this chapter, what he's beginning to say is, hey listen, he's talking to the, uh, to the Greek city-state there of Corinth, or uh, the, the province there, and he's saying, hey people of Corinth, I'm challenging you to go talk to these people, There's, many of them are still alive. Don't take my word for it. 
take these other people's words for it. They saw Jesus rise again. You can go interview them. You can go talk to them. And they'll say the same thing I'm saying to you. Now you and I have to take this by faith, but I'm telling you, back then, there were eyewitnesses. And Jesus went around and proved to Himself, and will prove to everybody else that He had indeed risen again. And I would gather that perhaps some of you here may not actually believe it happened. Some of you are still struggling with the fact, because it's a huge fact. It's a huge crossroads in your life. Right? Think about this. Again, if He rose again from the dead, what does that mean? It means everything in this Bible is true. And that means you and I are all accountable to what it says. And that is a big truth to have to contemplate. If it's not true, then man, this is a huge lie. And, and, and some of you are like, I don't want to choose either one. That's why I'm here. To provoke you to choose. Either you're going to accept the claim or you're going to reject the claim of Christ that He rose again from the dead. And I'm provoking you to investigate. I'm provoking you to look into it. And I can tell you this, that after the disciples, when, when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says all forsook Him, even His disciples. Many of them went their own way. They had thought that Jesus was going to come and conquer Rome. They thought He's going to be the King who comes in as a warrior and defeat everybody. And then He was crucified, and they began to think maybe we were wrong. And they felt defeated, and they felt discouraged, and they went and scattered around. And then Jesus came back, and they were like, whoa, and do you know that every one of them, except for John, was killed because they would not deny Christ or the resurrection? Now, if it was not true, somebody would have said, yeah, we made that up. I'm not going to die for a lie. But every one of them died, and John, they tried to kill him, but it didn't work. They threw him in a vat of oil and tried to boil him, and he somehow survived. And then they banished him to the island of Patmos, where he wound up writing the book of Revelation. But the idea there is that it radically changed their life. That when they saw the resurrected Christ, it transformed what was a small grain of faith to something life-changing where they were willing to die for it because they would not deny what they had seen. So this morning, as we look into this, I want to ask this question as well. What does it even prove? Why, why, even, why does it even matter? What does the resurrection of Christ even prove? And I want to give you, and I, and I won't be very long this morning, but I want to give you a few things or a few concepts that the resurrection of Christ proves that it might help you along your journey where you decide whether or not you're going to accept by faith the claim that Christ rose again from the dead or whether you're going to reject that claim and move on with your, your Muriel way. Well, number one, it proves that Jesus was who He said He was. It proves that Jesus was who He said He was. Consider that for a moment. Jesus said this. I am, this is Jesus' word, John 14, 6. You can look it up. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. He was saying that He's the only way to get to heaven. That He's the only truth that would lead to heaven. That He was the only one that would, would lead to life. Just in that statement alone, he is negating every other claim to heaven. Sometimes people have this notion, all roads lead to heaven. As long as you're sincere, as long as you're really genuine, you'll go to heaven. Well, not according to Jesus. Jesus says, nope, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only way to life. 
And so Jesus is, again, is either a claim of truth or he's a liar. But in that one statement, he's negating all other contrary statements. And anyone who, else, who claims that there's another way to heaven, Jesus is saying they're wrong. And if anyone else claims that there's another road that leads to eternal life, he's calling it a lie. So Jesus makes a bold claim there. He's making a big claim. And in our postmodern society, uh, postmodernism is this era of philosophy after modernism where it says, well, whatever's true for you, whatever works for you is true for you, and whatever works for me is true for me. Jesus says, nope, it ain't working like that. What is true is true, and if it's true for you, it's true for everybody. Now, again, I say this example all the time. Um, we're not asking what's your personal preference. We're not asking who do you like, the Mets or the Yankees. And by the way, the Mets are good this year for now. So like them. Okay? And I know they'll probably be in last place by September 1st. But right now, they're pretty good. And, 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 and the Yankees are also pretty good, but probably not as good. Yep, fighting words. I said it. But do you understand Christianity is not claiming that? Jesus is not concerned with what's your personal preference. Do you kind of like Buddha better? Or do you kind of like uh, Muhammad better? Do you kind of like Christ better? No, he's saying this is the truth. You either accept it or reject it. He's not going to force you to do one or the other, but you're going to either accept his claim or you're going to reject it. It's not one of personal preference. It's one of truth and whether or not you accept it or not. So move out of your mind all the postmodernistic ways that says, well, whatever you want is true and that's fine. He says, no, 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 this is the way it is. And so in way to prove that, he rose again from the dead. See, Buddha, who said his teachings were the way, and Confucius, who said his teachings were the way, and Muhammad, who says his teachings were the way, none of them had, ri had risen from the dead. Not a single one of them has been removed from the grave by their own power. They're all still in the ground. Their bodies can be found still dead as a doornail. But not Jesus. His body did not stay in the grave. His body did not stay in the tomb. That stone was rolled away and Jesus had risen again. And His body wasn't just missing, right? Because there, there became a lie. Become, the Romans had Him crucified and then He wasn't there anymore and the Jews called for His crucifixion and He wasn't there anymore. Now they had to figure out, well, what do we say? So they became a lie. A lie said that someone stole the body. And then Jesus showed up and goes, excuse me, excuse me, I'm here. No one stole the body. Think of how annoying that would have been to the, to the Jews and the high priests who were like, they stole the body. Excuse me, I'm right here. Oh, and by the way, the wounds are still here. And by the way, I'm not going anywhere for a while. And so you want to come talk to me, come talk to me. And so Jesus revealed himself over and over again to prove that, because anybody can go around saying, I'm Messiah, I'm Messiah. Anybody can start a cult, and anybody can get a following, and anybody can get a whole group of people to follow them and say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But Jesus says that you might know that I am who I said I am. I rose again from the dead. And I'm here if you want to talk. I'm here if you want to interview, if you will. Um, just walking around showing to hundreds of people, more than 500 people, which that might not sound like a lot in today's numbers, but back then that's not a small number. And he, for 40 days he sat there. Jesus also said, I and my Father are one. He said He was God. The Bible says that He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
So not only did Jesus say that He's the way, the truth, and the life, proven by the resurrection, but He also said that He was God Himself. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says that the Word came down and dwelt among, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was Jesus, and the Word was God. And so again, He, claimed, he makes this bold claim, I am God. Now, if wrong is blasphemy. If true, then it's true. And so he makes this claim, and in order to prove it, he brings himself back from the dead. He didn't go to the doctors and get shocked. He didn't get revived somewhere. The stone got rolled in the way, and then three days later, three days later, we're not talking about a couple minutes later he came back to life. We're talking three days later, not medically possible. He rolled the stone back himself and came walking out to prove to you that he indeed is God. He's not just a claim of God. Because again, anyone can claim to be God, but only God can do the work of God. And again, we're not talking like you know magic and, and smoke and mirrors, let me do some illusions. It was ba-boom, roll that stone away, come back from the dead. So we know that He is the only way, the truth, and the life. He claims to be God. He is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. And He went around proving all this through the resurrection. And so I want you to consider this morning that one of the reasons why we are consulting this concept today or, or, or provoking you with this thought is that the resurrection proves that He is who He says He is. Sometimes people will come to me and say, how do I know that God or that Christ is the right way? There's so many other claims out there that they're the right way. You're absolutely right, and that's a good question. I don't want you to take my word for it. Because who cares what I say? Because there'll be another guy on YouTube or another guy down the block or another guy you work with that says, hey, take what I say. Don't take what I say. I don't care what I say. I want you to investigate it yourself. I want you to look into it like Lee Strobel looking into it. I want you to ask God, God, if this is true, then reveal that to my heart. Help me to see it. See, it's a supernatural work. It's not a work of man. And you're going you're gonna to make some tough decisions today. You're either going to walk out of here ignoring it or rejecting it, or you're going to walk out of here beginning to accept it, and that's going to change your life. That's going to change your life big time. But what I want you to see is that the resurrection proves that He is who He says He is. Number two, the resurrection proves that the wrath of God was emptied. The resurrection proves that the wrath of God was empty. What does that even mean? Well, let me outline it theologically. So I know you're a smart person, and sure you're going to be able to keep up, as long as you're listening. But God created man, but then man sinned. And with sin, death came upon all men because all have sinned. So before sin, there was no death. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, nothing would have died. It would have just continued to live. But sin came into the world, and death came into the world as a consequence of sin. So death was the penalty, and the second death is the final judgment for sin. It's a place of lake of fire, or a place that we call hell sometimes. And so the reality of this is that you and I are sinners. We were born sinners. We continue to prove the fact that we're sinners. Matter of fact, if you look at your own life this week, I don't have to follow you around to prove this, and you don't have to follow me around to prove this. You and I are not holy creatures. We are sinful. We do a lot of dumb things. We think a lot of dumb thoughts. We say a lot of uh, uh, wrong things. We do a lot of wrong things that are against God. We are sinners. And the Bible says that God is holy, and He cannot let sin into heaven. If God let sin into heaven, it would be no different than earth, and it would be corrupt and demoralized and all the other stuff. 
And so every one of us who is a sinner deserves to go to hell. That's the penalty. And the reality is every one of us is a sinner, so every one of us deserves to go to hell. So Jesus came down not to help us get to heaven, but to pay the price for us to get to heaven. So He dies, and in His death, He cried out, It is finished. He was taking upon uh, the sins of the world. And then three days later, He rose again. And what that proves is that He was finished paying for the wrath, or finished suffering the wrath of God. See, what happened was when Christ died for our sins, He was taking upon your wrath and my wrath. And when He rose again, it was like He was saying, okay, there's no more left. I was going to dump this bottle of water out, but this is not finished. This is full. But if I put the cap on, after He rose again, it would be like the wrath of God was empty. Nothing, nothing left. Get the picture. Nothing left for us to suffer. Jesus doesn't need our help to get to heaven. He doesn't need your good works to help His finished work. He died once and for all, and that is sufficient enough. And when He rose again, it was proving, hey listen, you don't have to worry. So if you ask me, I'm a pastor, do you still sin? Absolutely I still sin. I have no idea why God uses me. I prove every day that I need a Savior. But I can promise you this, that when I get to death, I'm not worried about the wrath of God. And the reason I'm not worried about the wrath of God is not because I don't deserve the wrath of God, I do. The reason I don't fear the wrath of God is because Christ paid for my sins and there's no more wrath for me because it's all been emptied. If you're a born-again believer today, if you're saved, there is no more wrath of God for you. It's all been emptied. There's no more outstanding debt for your sin. Now, if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, then you're in the right place because God is telling you that He died for your sins and that He rose again on the third day and by believing and calling on Him to save you, He'll forgive you all your sins. And I'll explain more about that later. But the wrath of God theologically is emptied. The resurrection proves that. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 now. But, so it, it proves He is who He says He is. And it proves that the wrath of God is emptied. Look at verse 17 now. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. So what he's saying here is, if Christ did not rise again from the dead, then there's still wrath appointed for you. There's still, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And if in this life we only have hope in Christ, like, oh, I hope he's real, I hope he's real, I hope he's real, fingers crossed, and he's not real, then we're of all men most miserable. We wasted our life. Verse number 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be all be made alive. And so my friend, what I want you to realize is you don't have to worry about what if and what if and what if. Did he rise? No, he rose again from the dead. And my friend, if you've never called on Christ to save you, then look to the resurrection as proof that he is worthy to believe in. That he is who he said he is. And that, that by believing in him, you will have all your sins forgiven. 
This is an absolutely wonderful truth. You can call on Christ today claiming the fact, knowing the fact that He did rise again from the dead. So not only does it prove He is who He says He was, but number two, it proves that the wrath of God is emptied for those that believe on Him. And number three, it proves that believers will rise again. Look at verse 20 again. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the resurrection, the future resurrection of believers. Look at verse number 50. Jump down all the way to the end of the chapter. Bible says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet of God uh, shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. My friend, if you're a believer, you're in Christ. That's the Bible term, in Christ. And the Bible says that all that are in Christ will one day rise again from the dead. Now here's how it works. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, this earthly vessel dies, but our spirit, if we're believers, is to be present with the Lord. But one day later, there will be a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, um, that will be spirit and body reunited, and His resurrection was the first one of the ones that would follow. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, and you and I who are believers will rise again from the dead. So the rapture is a term that some people use to claim that there will be the resurrection of dead in Christ first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Then there are other resurrections of the Old Testament saints in that. Bottom line is that the resurrection proves that we will rise again as well. So let me give you number four. So number one, the most important one is to prove he, says who he, who he is who he says he is. Number two, it proves that the wrath of God is emptied. Number three, it proves that believers will rise again. And number four, it proves that Christ is the victory. Now look at verse 54. Bible says here, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, see this corruptible sinful body will put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the reality. Death looms for all of us. Every one of us has an expiration date on our lives, and we don't know when it is. And that's not to scare you. That's a reality whether you accept it or not. Some people say, why are you telling me that? Well, I didn't tell you anything you don't already know. You already knew that. You don't want to think about it, but you know it. And the reality and the scary part is we don't know when we're going to die. Any of us can die at any moment. That's just reality. It's not a scare tactic, it's just reality. And so as death is looming, and death is the one thing that people fear the most often. Some fear how they'll die, some fear that they will die. And, and, and people have looked for the fountain of youth for years, and where is the secret of eternal life, and how can I live forever? The Bible here says that the only solution for death is through Christ. Now, does that mean that I won't die? No, no, I will die. This body will die. 
but my eternity is secure in Christ for what He's done. See, my going to church doesn't get me to heaven. And my, um, if I gave money to church, that doesn't get me to heaven. Me being a good person, which I'm not, doesn't get me to heaven. Uh, being kind and, and gracious to people doesn't get me to heaven. No good work that I can do, no sacramental work, no religious duty, no religious thing, no helping widows, no giving money to the poor, none of that gets me to heaven. None of that is the victory for death. There is only one victory over death, and that is Christ, His death, and the resurrection. And the Bible here says that, oh, there's a big sting of death. We're fearful of it. We're worried about it. Man, in a blink of an eye, life goes by. And that could cause us to tremble. But the reality is, look at it again. Verse 55, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I die, I'm not worried. My dad made sure, made sure that one of the songs that was at his funeral, and he put this on the back of the, of the funeral card, it was said, when I die, don't cry for me, for in my Father's arms I will be. And he gave the whole verse there. He had no doubt that when he died, He'd be fine. Death is a fearful thing. But I don't fear what happens when I die. All week long I have students, one in particular I think of, that is really bothered by death. It says, I don't want to talk about death anymore. It makes me nervous. And I understand that. And his solution is, let's just not, let's just, Say there's no God and no heaven or hell, and that'll make me satisfied. But you know if there's no God, you just go in the grave and that's it? You just cease to exist. That doesn't sound exciting. That still sounds fearful. Where, why am I here? Where did I come from? And what happens after I die? The answer if there's no God is nothing. It doesn't matter. But the reality is there is a God... I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I can't earn it. But He did it for me. He died in my place. You know, anybody here that's going to heaven, it's not because we're good. It's because Christ did it. You know what that means for you? It doesn't matter how bad you are. You can be forgiven. It doesn't matter how good you are. You ain't getting to heaven on your own. He accomplished it. It's all about Him. That ought to give you great hope because sometimes people, I've heard people say this to me, well, if I go to church, the church will burn down. Are you kidding me? Do you know who goes to church? A bunch of people who the church should burn down for. But we don't have to worry about that because Jesus died for our sins. Friend, it don't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how horrible of a past you have. It doesn't matter how many shameful things you don't want to talk about. He died. He is the victory. He knew what you did. And He loves you anyway. He loves you. You know, see, a lot of, one of our biggest fears is we don't want to tell people what we have did or who we are because they might not love us once they know. He says, hey, I know. And I still love you. And I'm not going anywhere. 
and I died and rose again so that you will know that I am who I said I am. And you will know that by believing in me, there is no more wrath of God. I've paid it all. I've taken it all upon myself. And you will know that one day you will be resurrected to be with me. And you will know that in Christ only is the victory. So i got one more encouraging verse and then we're done. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren. So he says, he goes this whole expose. Chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. And then he says, therefore, my brethren. Hey, Christian, here's your encouragement. Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, you keep stout. You keep on keeping on. You keep on resolved. You keep on going. And I know it gets discouraging. And I know you want to give up. And I know you want to quit. And I know we look around and we say, man, it's getting worse and worse and scarier and scarier. And it's more confusing and more confusing. And it's horrible. And what do we do? And he says, hey, listen, you just keep on keeping on knowing this, that your labor, your work for God is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. Your serving Him is not in vain. You keep on keeping on because that is Christ's victory, Him through you. He died so you could serve Him. He died so you could be with Him. So you just keep on keeping on for God. Don't you give up. You keep on keeping on. I don't know where you'll end up after this. Again, there's not any way for me to know. I'm not the salvation police. I'm not going to go and poll and say, what decisions did you make? All I can do is deliver the mail of what the Word of God says. And you will either leave here accepting it or you will leave here rejecting it. And that's your journey. You have every free will right to do so. But I will tell you this. You're not here by mistake. You're not here accidentally. You're not here by chance. You're here that God would let you know that He loves you and that Christ died for you and then rose again to prove these things to you. And if this could be any help to you and your journey to know about eternal life, then so be it. Let God use this in your life to draw you to Him. To convict your heart that you might call on Him. Let's have everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. No looking around. I know if you're not used to church or you're new, there's a lot to take in. And that is fine. It's a journey. But again, I really believe in my whole heart you're not here by accident. God wanted you to know Him because He knows you and He loves you. And He rose again so you would know that He's not just some claim of God. He's not just some, hey, choose me. How about me? He is God. And He proved it by going for the, to the cross. But not just going to the cross. Many people died on the cross. But He's the only one that in three days came back alive. That you might know He's God. I want to ask you a few questions. And so nobody look around. And I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. You're not signing up for anything. I just want to be able to pray for you. With the head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you would say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Again, I'm not going to call you out. I promise you I'm not telling anybody about this. It's just between you, me, and God. 
you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, would you please pray for me? Would you just quietly raise your hand right now that I can pray for you? Okay, I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. God bless you. Yep, and your hand and your hand. Good. Praise God. Anybody else? I'm not sure. I see your hand too back there. Anybody else? I'm not sure. God bless you. I see your hand too. I'm not sure. I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. I'll tell you this. The good news is it's not based on your good works, so don't you worry about that. He did it. He did it. In just a moment, a few moments, I'm going to ask another question in a minute. In a few moments, if you'd like to talk to somebody, how can you know? How can I know for sure I'm going to heaven? I want to know. We'll give you an opportunity to. Now, again, we're not going to make you do anything. But I'm going to invite you in a, in a couple of minutes. If you want to talk to somebody, you can. But here's my second question. Believer, it gets hard to keep on keeping on. And maybe you haven't been in church in a while. Maybe you are. But you get discouraged or you kind of float away from the faith or you kind of uh, feel like giving up. And, and, and that's where you're at. Because all of this was stated, therefore, and so therefore, because of all this, be steadfast, unmovable. Hey, don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Can I pray for you? If you're in a stage of your life where maybe you've wandered away or maybe you're struggling with giving up and you want me to pray for you about that and you're encouraged about that today, would you raise your hand? I, I, I was in a stage where I was floating away from the faith or I'm struggling with it now. Would you pray for me about that? Would you raise your hand? That I might, okay, I see your hand. God bless you and you and you. Good. Good, I see your hands. Good, God bless you. You may put them down. Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. This is what we call an invitation. The music will play. Uh, we leave these uh, rows up here open if you want to come pray about something. It might be something totally different than what you, we were preaching about. Maybe there's somebody sick in your family and you want to come pray for them. You can. This is just time of open prayer. Just about you seen come. If you want to talk to somebody, maybe you raised your hand and you said, I don't know I'm going to heaven, but I want to talk to somebody about that. Then just step out of your seat and come meet me at the front, and we'll take a man with a man, we'll take a lady with a lady, and we'll show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Now again, I'm not going to force you to do that, but I don't want to not give you that opportunity if that's what you want. So if you'd like to talk to somebody, step out of your seat and just come to me. If you want to come pray, come pray. There's plenty of people coming. You wouldn't be alone. And again, if you want to talk to me, or you want to talk to someone about heaven, then come let me know that. Otherwise, I'll leave you to praying. Some of you, your prayer might just be, God, if you're real, show me. I don't know. You know, it's okay to not know. It's okay to be on a journey. It's okay to say, God, I'm trying to figure this out. Please help me. If he doesn't exist, he's not going to answer. But if he does, you might be surprised. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a home that went to church all the time or that knew about all these things. It was later on in life that God got a hold of my heart. And I kind of like Lee Strobel said, let me try to prove this wrong. I'm going to see that, show you why it's not right. I couldn't believe the things I found. that I was like, wow. There's no other answer but God. There's no other reason we exist here. If there's no God, man, there's no reason. And what in the world's holding the earth in the middle of the universe spinning around and is a hot fireball 
within eye distance and no one's in control, that's scary. But friend, I want you to find God because God's already looking for you. And I really believe in my whole heart that you're here for a reason. I believe it with my life. And I believe that reason is that God may reveal himself to you. And that's what the resurrection is in part. Think about it. I want you to go home and just think about it. If he didn't rise again from the dead, then what in the world were all these people talking about? And look at you say, I don't believe the Bible. Go look up in historical accounts. Go look at what Josephus wrote about, uh, ancient Jewish historian. Go, re- go read some of the other accounts that are out there. If he did rise again from the dead, oh man. Christian, I want to remind you and encourage your heart that he did rise again. That means that we ought to serve him because he is the living Savior. We ought to live for him. We ought to be sold out for him. Well, to be more faithful, because look what he did for us. Can't we just do a little for him? Father, I thank you for everybody that's come today. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and work in our midst. Lord, it's not our truth or... Our preference, it is truth. And Father, I can't believe for anyone. They have to come on their own. So Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes of faith of everyone that needs to see. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be with everyone who's on their journey to bring them the next step. For every believer that's discouraged or has faltered from the faith a little, Lord, draw them home. Bring them back to more faithful serving. Help them to realize that it's not by our works of righteousness, but you, Lord, your grace. And Lord, for the many other things and struggles and burdens that people have in their lives and in their hearts, Father, I pray that you would just minister to them in the most amazing way. And Lord, we just pray for a blessed day. Thank you so much for rising again from the dead. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me, Lord, who doesn't deserve to be loved. But thank you, God, for loving me and dying for my sins. We praise your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one more.